Welcome into another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined, as always, by Colin Haas Hill. A lot to talk about on this week's episode. We had college ball playoff rankings that just came out a few hours before uh, we're recording here. Had some big commitments on the recruiting trail this past week. Uh, of course, uh, there's no Michigan game this week, as there typically would be on Thanksgiving week, but there is an Illinois game. But we got to just start with the elephant in the room because ever since Ohio State's game against Indiana on Saturday, what everyone's been talking about is what's wrong with a pass defense. So I think we just got to start there. I think it's fair to just lay that out there because like we don't even need to like sure code this. We don't need to go in with some sort of intro. Like this is the number one thing. And, it, and it's totally reasonable to me because of exactly what happened on Tuesday, which is the college football playoff rankings released. And everybody again is looking at the fact that yes, we are interested in what Ohio State does against Indiana, Illinois, Michigan State, Michigan, but all eyes are on what happens in those games. And we know the kind of offenses Ohio State will face down the road. And to see Michael Penix do what Michael Penix did uh, was certainly alarming. Yes, Indiana had 491 passing yards. That's the fourth highest total in school history. That included four passing plays of 50-plus yards. And we're talking about a game that Ohio State was up 35-7. to seven. It looked like the Buckeyes were going to cruise to victory in this top-10 game. And then Indiana came within a drive of potentially being able to tie or win the game. And the biggest reason for that, there were multiple reasons for that, and we'll get to some others later, but the, by far the biggest reason for that was because they could not stop the passing game. I mean, Indiana couldn't run the ball. Indiana literally finished the day with negative one rushing yards. But their their passing game, Ohio State had absolutely no answer for it. And we've talked about it all along. I mean, I, I think I said it about 10 different times before the season, but I thought the secondary was by far the biggest question mark on this team. I thought it was going to be what make or break Ohio State's championship hopes this year. And I think on Saturday, we saw how it could potentially break them. Yeah, I think I, I think last week I had just an all-time I, – I had, I had some good takes last week. I also had an all-time bad take. We both did. It. Yeah, like listen, I still think this run defense is very good. And I think that I think I think, you know, Indiana does not exactly have the greatest rushing attack in the world. But I think you just saw another example of, you know, these defensive tackles, these defensive ends, these linebackers, like them against the run, you take them about against just about any other group of any other front seven. I also said that my main worries in the secondary were Marcus Hooker's tackling. I now have bigger worries, Dan. (laughs) I have a few bigger worries than whether Marcus Hooker can tackle. Now, that being said, Marcus Hooker's tackling combined with Marcus Hooker's coverage skills, then I'm a little concerned about Marcus Hooker in general combined with the fact that Seven Banks got beat, uh, Sean Wade got beat again. Uh, Josh Proctor, I think he, uh, you know, I saw, I remember Josh Proctor when I went back, he missed a tackle, even though I think he generally played well. You know, obviously they had that breakdown with Taraja Mitchell on the outside. I mean, what could go wrong went wrong. And I think that I was a little bit optimistic about the past defense. And now I am like, don't, don't worry. If, if you thought that I might be trying to, to, you know, think things were dandy on the, on the past defense side, Dan, I am not there. I am not there. Yeah. I mean, I admittedly thought you were a little bit over, overly optimistic about this defense the way you were talking the past couple of weeks. But at the same time, I also predicted that Sean Wade would play like a first round pick on Saturday. And while 
Sean Wade did have a pick six. He did not play like first round pick. Uh, his no, struggles continued. Um, in the whole, I mean, really the whole secondary. I mean, the whole the whole secondary played poorly. And and you know, there's a lot of issues. There's a lot of issues there right now. And I don't know what the fix is here exactly. You know, t- listening to Ryan Day and Kerry Combs on Tuesday, they seem to be confident that they're they're running the right scheme. How many how many times did you hear the word correctable on Tuesday? I mean, I, you probably a heard it a dozen times. A lot. Yeah. And I'm not saying I don't buy that because I mean they would know better than me. But at the same time, we we have seen. I think we started to see this kind of ballooning to the surface the last couple of weeks. And then we saw it get a lot worse. And now granted, Michael Penix is a really good quarterback. Ty Froyfog was a really good receiver. I, I think, you know, those guys played fantastic. I think they were the best, you know, quarterback receiver tandem that Ohio state's going to face during a regular season. And so you expect them to be tested, but there's a, there's a lot of issues there. I mean, I, you, you, you can't take to me, you can't take one guy and say, man, this guy's playing really well, or well, this guy's the problem to me. It's all a problem right now. Nobody in the secondary played well against Indiana. And, you know, I'm not enough of a scheme guru to really know what, you know, what would be the best way to fix the scheme. I know Kyle Jones wrote about that and I believe he talked about it on the 11 Dubcast as well. So what he's got to say from a scheme standpoint is better than anything I'm going to be able to say, but you know, the, the thing, the thing that I, you know, I questioned all along, can you really run this single high scheme when you don't have a Jordan Fuller on the back end, when you don't have corners who are as reliable as Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett. And from my very amateur point of view, to me, it just seems like this defensive scheme is really reliant on defensive backs being able to consistently win their one-on-one matchups. And you're not seeing that from these defensive backs right now. Well, I think more specifically, you know, seven banks got beat once deep. Um, you know, Sean Wade got beat a couple times. Um, I think that, you know, I think that my thing is when we talk about correctable mistakes, like, I think the physical things aren't really as correctable. I think the mental things you can correct during a season. It's, it, it takes time. And I think that the fact that Ohio State doesn't really play anybody who's going to be super dangerous probably, you know, is in their favor. But my sort of thing is, like, man, they've had five dozen practices. <laughs> like, there's not going to be one fix. It's not going to be like they go through a week of practice and boom, Saturday. It's all good. Like that's to me, that's not going to happen. I think that's the concerning thing is, you know, there's a reason why these guys are playing. And I think Marcus Hooker maybe fits into my sort of thing where there's a reason a guy's playing early. Maybe he's not great right away. Maybe down the line, he plays well. Like to me, you know, maybe he could be like a Jonathan Cooper in, in two years where he's really good. But right now I don't think he's really the, uh, he's certainly not a reliable guy back there. So what's the answer? There's no real other answer outside of that, outside of him. I mean, you look to redshirt freshmen, freshmen, guys like Ronnie Hickman, guys like Lathan Ransom, like Bryson Shaw type guys who, like, we just haven't seen in any big role or even any minor role, really. And I think that, you know, the issue is really 
there's nobody else. Like these are the guys you're going to have to rely on. And there are some things that are correctable. Some I'm not sure that are. And, and you make the point where I, it, that I agree with that, you know, I don't think that they can play necessarily the scheme if Marcus Hooker is going to play the way that Marcus Hooker has. I think that to me is the number one thing, you know, Marcus Williamson hasn't played, you know, great. I don't, I don't think seven banks has been perfect. I think seven banks has been okay. Sean Wade has, has not been good. Um, and I, and I, you know, you're going to write it out with Sean Wade. You're going to write it out with seven banks. I'm not sure what they do with Marcus Hooker. I'd be, I'd be interested to see with what, with that spot and same with Marcus Williamson. I just don't think they have great answers right now. I, you know, it, it would be great if the, the 2021 class was the freshman class right now, because there would be a lot of talented guys on the roster. But I think when, when you look at, you know, even guys who are the freshman class right now, like it's Cam Martinez who played quarterback in high school. It's, you know, legend Cavazos, who's a, who's a great athlete, but has also been hurt. And, you know, the, the, the knock with him was, you know, he's maybe not, you know, technically ready to play cornerback in college right yet. And and then it's Ryan Watts who, you know, he's a bigger physical guy, but you know, where is he athletically? Like, what, is he going to need a little bit of time there? I just don't think they have great answers. I don't know if you're with me, but I, I think that's the concerning part is I'm not exactly sure what they're supposed to do. No, I'm with you because that's the thing I, you know, you hear people say, well, I want, you know, we need to see new guys play, but who yeah. are those new guys? I mean, I think in hindsight, Maybe we didn't play up enough, like how big a loss Cam Brown was. <laughs> no, no, I, I certainly didn't. Like that's that's a guy who I think would definitely have a chance to help them. Maybe he'd be an upgrade at one of these spots, but you don't have him. He's out for the year. You know, I I I, I hate even talking about an Amir Reap in a football perspective because of what happened there. But still, that's a guy who was expected to maybe be a starter this year, and you lose him unexpectedly before the season. I mean, even a court, even a court Williams, he's a freshman, but the way that Ryan Day was talking about him made it sound like maybe he was a guy who'd be a little more ready than the rest of these freshmen to contribute immediately. You lose him for the season. So you've had a lot of different things that have added up over the course of the entire year that have really hurt your defensive back depth. And, and it really does put them in a position where, you know, I do think it's problematic that, you know, these guys aren't playing. And like, I think like in these next games against Illinois and Michigan state, like if you can get a comfortable enough lead, you've got to try to get these younger inexperienced guys out there for more reps and see if you have something there. Because I mean, let alone you're one injury away from just who knows who's going to play in that secondary right now. But, you know, maybe because I think, you know, like I think one thing people think of, I think they think back to 2018 and they think about Brendan White not playing. And then he comes in and he's clearly an upgrade. And it's like, why didn't this guy play? And I think there's people who think maybe there's that guy out there right now that's just not getting an opportunity. But I'm not overly confident that, that that's the case. I'm just not because I think the vast majority of these guys are really young. And I think some of these young guys have potential, but I just, you know, I just don't know if they're going to be there this year. You know, I just, you know, to put freshmen out there, I don't know that your results are going to be better. So I think they're in a, I think they're in a tough spot right now in the secondary. And, you know, maybe some of these guys flash here and practice over the next few weeks and you get them on the field and maybe they show something, but 
I, I just don't think there's any really great answers right now. All right, since we're all doing gloom, let's let's try and fix this. Silver Sniper asks, Colin and Dan, you've been hired by OSU to perform an assessment of what OSU needs to do to strengthen that secondary. All options are open. Wade back to slot, you got it. Proctor the new single high, it's done. Bring in the new guys, all yours. Adjust the scheme, just say how. What changes would you make, Dan? Yeah, it's hard. Like, you know, like you ask about Sean Wade moving back to the slot. Like, I think it's become clear at this point that Sean Wade's better in the slot than he is outside. But who do you put outside? I mean, that that's the problem. Like, would that be a net gain for the defense? I don't know, because I just don't know who would be playing that outside spot. Based on what can I've I, seen. Let me, can I jump in right there? Yeah, I agree, go. I agree go with that, it. because the one thing that I, the, I generally agree at that point. And, and like, I think I'm there with you because like, who are you putting? Are, are you going to move Marcus Williamson outside? He's going to be super undersized there. I just, you know, given how he's played in the slot, I just, I, I wouldn't feel super confident about that. And like Tyreek Johnson, legend Cavazzo is just back from an injury. Like they just don't have any options. My one caveat, and this is why I would actually think about it is because like the one thing that Marcus Williamson does sometimes is Marcus Williamson also acts as a second safety sometimes. And I think Sean Wade, being a second safety when Marcus Hooker's a big issue right now, I don't think that I, I think that that would be helpful to Ohio State in some ways. The one thing is like I have like you lose a lot if you move Sean Wade from corner to nickel. At least we think you do. I mean, the way that he's played, to be honest, I'm not 100 percent sure that that's the case. I just think that that should be on the table at least because what he can offer with this versatility there to both play in the slot and drop back to safety, like I think that that would be helpful for this team. I would just say in addition, like for one, like my read would be, I feel like Josh Proctor should be a starter at this point. I feel like he should probably be starting over Marcus Williamson. I think that's probably the best role for him, but I think he should probably be a starter uh, and probably playing more snaps than he is. And he did play a majority of snaps against Indiana. So it's not that he didn't, but that's probably something I would do. He's the one guy who hasn't gotten burned yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, my thing is I just don't – I don't think they have a guy who's capable of being Jordan Fuller on the back end of that defense. And because of that, I just don't know if a single high scheme is going to work. I just don't. I, I just – there's a big part of me that thinks m- maybe going back to a too high safety look would be better. I don't know that for sure though, because, you know, there's a lot of times you need that guy in the slot, you know, and, you know, does it just mean you play, you know, more nickel? I mean, they already did a good amount of that against Indiana. It didn't work. So, you know, that's the hard thing is there's just, there's just not anything that I see and say like, that's, this is a clear solution here. Um, It's probably going to have to be more minor tweaks and, you know, just trying to get the guys that you have out there better, but I just don't see a magic fix. Is there anything that I'm missing that you see, Colin? No, I think that it's, I, th- I think it's big. Like the, the mental error thing has to be cleared up. Like there, if there are physical things, like if Sean Wade is just going to get physically beat sometimes on the outside if Marcus Williamson is going to be a little bit too small on the inside sometimes, like, you know, if seven banks is going to take, you know, the wrong step sometimes, like, Listen, like those things are not going to be incorrectable in the season. They're just not. But the mental stuff, like that stuff has to be cleaned up. And like that's on Kerry Combs. If it happens, it's on him. And like 
you, listen, you have 60 practices. Like mental stuff shouldn't be the issue right now. And and I think mental stuff was the issue too much um, on, on, on Saturday, which goes back to him. I'm, I'll make one point, which is sort of unrelated, but also related because, you know, I, like I said, like, I, I think there are serious issues with the secondary right now. Um, my one caveat, like watching the game back, like Michael Penix is the real deal. Like it was, he wasn't just, you know, taking, taking advantage of a bad secondary. Michael Penix was making some awesome throws. I, and you know, he made a couple, like he made one where like guys were just draped on him and, and you know, you know, he, he just, he hit someone on the sideline and like a perfect, like the only place you can put the ball in. It's like, how, how are you doing that? He has this ability that I think Justin Fields, Justin Fields is a little bit different when he gets rushed. Justin Fields likes to move around and likes to start looking for areas to run. Penix has this thing where he just shuffles a little bit, finds just enough space and delivers the ball with that quick release. I thought Penix was outstanding. And I think that against other quarterbacks, I think that the pass rush would have flustered people. Penix, for some reason, it just didn't. So, like, that's that's one thing I would note is, like, I know I know when we talked about this, we look forward to, like, the Mac Jones game, the, the Trevor Lawrence games out there that, that could be – the Kyle Trask games that could be waiting down the line. But even against those guys, you just – like, I just sort of think that this defensive line is going to continue to, to get better, and I think that they're going to make it – make their presence felt a little bit more. Um, and, and I thought they had a generally a good game on Saturday. So, so that's my one thing. If you want to be optimistic, I think that you can be optimistic about this defensive line and, and getting home a little bit more because you didn't have maybe the sacks that you wanted, but they were getting in his face and hitting Michael Penix. It's just so happened like that man just stayed in there and delivered strikes. It, it, his, his performance was incredible to me. That is very true. And that's the thing that really stood out to me when I was rewatching the game that you know, I don't think my post-game coverage on Saturday probably reflected accurately. It was that I think the pass rush actually played well against Indiana. I, I don't think the pass rush was a problem at all because if there were several, I mean, on multiple of those big plays, I and mean, there was a guy right on top of him and he just made a like a shuffle he does that like yeah. it's like it, he just takes a sidestep and has just enough room. It, it, he's He's a fun guy to watch and Ohio State fans might not like that. And uh, we'll hope he's gone next time the Hoosiers play them. But uh, that, that guy's, that guy's something. Yeah. I mean, he had great composure in the pocket and, you know, he's really accurate as a passer. And yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't think, you know, just rewatching games. I mean, like you said, I mean, if you get a few more sacks, maybe you can make a difference, but you know, they were bringing pressure. I mean, just wa- watching them. I mean, I thought for the most part, you know, the defensive linemen were winning the battles in the trenches. I mean, I know, I think Tommy Togi, I was credited with 10 pressures by pro football focus and watching him. I mean, he, he was pretty much dominating his man on every single play, but Penix was doing a great job of, of making throws under pressure and getting rid of a football before guys could get home. Yeah. I thought, I thought Jonathan Cooper played very well. I thought, I thought even Zach Harrison and Tyler Friday had some solid, solid moments too. So I think that defensive front is a positive. The back end is that thing where, you know, it's, it's, I think one of the tough things about it too is, you know, we're going to watch a lot of Ohio state football over the next coming weeks. And we're going to have no idea really where they are because they're not going to be facing another guy like Penix or a guy like Lawrence or Jones or Trask or anyone like that. So I think that that's going to be the difficult thing is, you know, we're going to be looking for areas of improvement, 
but like, if you just watch the first three games, sure. You had, you know, the, the touchdowns against Sean Wade, but you didn't have some of the things show up that, that showed up against a really good passing um, offense. So I think that, I think that's the, that's something to watch. And also like going on that, you know, they have like at least a month before they face another elite, elite passing offense. Like there is time to in practice install stuff that, down the line in the playoff, other teams aren't going to necessarily expect. And I, and I think that, you know, that's something they're going to have to do because, you know, I, I, I do think it's a concern that, uh, that this defensive backfield is a concern and that doesn't really have easy answers. Yeah, I agree with that, but I, I still think you need to see strides in these next few games. And I get what you're saying that you might not really be able to evaluate how much better they're getting because they're going to be playing worse quarterbacks, worse receivers. But I still think you can see strides just in terms of less coverage busts, in terms of, you know, just just not making some of the mistakes that we saw uh, against Indian. I think you're right that a lot of these other offenses that are going to play in the rest of the Big Ten season are not going to be as capable of exploiting them. But, I mean, at the same time, I mean, we saw Rutgers do well in the second half against Ohio State. I mean, we saw Penn State do it, and ever since the Ohio State game, Sean Clifford has been horrendous. So I, I still think there's some things that we can see here in the next few weeks. I still I I think we need to see tangible signs of progress here over the next few weeks if I'm gonna go into you know that playoff with any confidence that this secondary can hold up. Don't want to beat this in the ground, but we do have two more questions on this, so we can run through these real quick. From Tussie, Kerry Combs wasn't a defensive coordinator prior to his return to Columbus. Given the recent struggles in the second half of games, is it reasonable to begin questioning whether he can coordinate a defense and make the necessary adjustments? Yeah, I think it's reasonable. I mean, I thought I thought it was reasonable before this season, to be honest. And I think I think we both had our concerns a little bit about Kerry Combs. I don't think they were major concerns but you know I I do think that you know at least I had a little bit of concern about you know is Kerry Combs really going to be able to pick up where Jeff Hathley left off and now again it's not a fair comparison because he doesn't have Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett, and Jordan Fuller so it's not really fair to 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 just put it that way but I will say this this absolutely all goes back to Kerry Combs because Kerry Combs is getting paid $1.4 million to develop elite defensive backs and to lead Ohio state's path defense. I mean, we've talked about it before the roles between Combs and Madison, Madison's more of a run guy. Combs is more of a pass guy. So Combs really is the guy day's responsible too, as the head coach, he he's responsible for making sure that this gets fixed. But Combs is the guy who's ultimately got to make the adjustments, whether that's personnel or whether it's scheme, to so that Ohio State's pass defense can perform better. And I'm certainly not going to say that he can't because it's been four games, and I think it's way too early to make any judgments about, you know, what kind of defensive coordinator he is. But I, I do think it's reasonable to have concerns after what we saw against Indiana. Bring the juice, S. Is the secondary truly fitsable within the next month and a half, or is it time for my hopes and dreams to call it a day, to which I would say, bring the juice. You got to bring the juice, my man. Yeah. I mean, come on. Are you are you watching this offense like this? I, I, like, 
as as much as we're going to talk about this secondary, you know, as long as you have Justin Fields, you can win a national championship. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I think your for your hopes and dreams to call it a day, I think that's uh, overly pessimistic there because because here's the thing. And I'm I, I've been convinced of this before Saturday. I've been convinced of this all season. The college football playoff games this year are all going to be shootouts because that's just that's just the way the top teams in college football are built this year. They're better offensive teams than they are defensive teams. And and we've seen we've seen Alabama's defense get picked apart by Ole Miss, and we've seen Clemson's defense get picked apart by Notre Dame. So I think you're going to be in a shootout regardless. I you know I I I don't think any college football playoff game this year is going to be 17, 14. I think they're all going to be high scoring games where, you know, both teams are going to score a lot of points. And so I think that plays into Ohio state's favor because I don't, you know, I I don't think Ohio state has to be dominant on defense to win in the college football playoff. It, it, It has to be better than it is now. I do believe that, but I don't think it has to be dominant on defense to win in the college football playoff. I do think Justin Fields needs to play better than he did on Saturday. If we want to pivot off that, I feel like we need to talk about this because the way Colin, you have talked about Justin Fields. I don't think you were expecting to see anything like we saw from Justin Fields on Saturday. No, you know what I liked um, was when Ryan day was asked a question on Tuesday about, you know, yes, this is a bad game for Justin Fields, but you know, is it a good thing in the long term? And I loved Ryan Day's answer because to me it was so true, which is like, I mean, I guess, but I certainly don't want it to happen again, which was perfect because like, do we think that Ryan Day, do we think that Justin Fields has been held back because he hasn't played badly? Like he seemed to be getting better this year and he didn't have any bad games last year until he threw two interceptions in the festival. And even then he was hobbled. So um, I, you know, I, Justin Fields has to play better. And I think he knows that. I think Justin Fields in general had a good game. He had three horrible plays though. And that was the issue. It's like, you know, you can have, if you're Justin Fields, you can do everything else that you did in that game. And if you didn't have those three plays, it would have been just like one of your normal games, which is you escaped like seven different sacks and ran for yards and were through for 300 yards, multiple touchdowns and were great. The issue was like, I, I think on the, uh, you know, on the first center, on the first interception, that was just his mistake, his misread of the defense. The second two was like, what are you doing, dude? Like you've never done this. You can't just, you can't try and make a throw and you know throw a 10 mile an hour pass 10 yards down the field in college football. So yeah, I certainly didn't expect that. He's never, he hasn't really done that recently at, at you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you can theorize, like, was he pressing? Was he trying to, you know, do too much to, to win the Heisman? I don't really know exactly, but you know, that's, that's certainly not something you can do again. Yeah. I mean, I was, it was, to me, it was really just shocking just because we just haven't, we really haven't ever seen Justin Fields make decisions that bad with the football. Like it's just not something he does. He's usually so smart with his decision-making that to see him just you know, the last interception was really stood out to me. I mean, he's just, he's getting taken down and he just chucked it up in the middle of the middle of a field. Like that, that's just not a play you see Justin Fields make. And, and so it, it was just surprising for me to see. And, and certainly 
it's something Ohio State's got to work on in terms of handling the blitz because other teams are going to watch that Indiana film and say, okay, if we blitz Justin Fields the way they did, maybe they maybe we have a chance to take him off his game. I mean, if I'm Brent Venables, I'm watching that film and I'm licking my chops thinking, okay, maybe if we can, you know, if we play Justin Fields and we, we can blitz him like that, maybe we could take him off his game too. So it's certainly something they've got to work on. At the same time, I'd also be shocked if Justin Fields doesn't bounce back this week and play great. I mean, I thought it was kind of funny, like during the interviews on Tuesday, I think Chris Olave got asked about three different questions about, you know, whether he was concerned about Justin Fields or whether Justin had changed as a result of Saturday. And I think on the last one, his response was basically like, Oh, I remember it was, it was, it was, I think like, you know, he, he won't have any problem and you shouldn't think he will either or something like that. I hope you guys, I hope you guys think that too. And it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah, (laughs) I mean, I have absolutely no concerns about Justin Fields. I'd be shocked if it became a recurring issue here. I think he'll bounce back. I mean, he's an excellent talent. He's going to learn from his mistakes. And I do think, you know, I, I think the notion of he can learn from this, he can grow from this. I think there is some validity to that because I mean, before this game, we were just talking about how perfect he was. And I mean, you could even see Ryan day was kind of trying to temper that a little bit. Like, He's not really right where we need him to be yet. So I think Ryan Day probably knew in the back of his mind, like it's still, there's things he hasn't seen from defenses yet that could keep him from being as perfect as he's been for these first three games. But I'm also very confident that that he will bounce back because I know how talented he is. Yeah, I also don't know how many teams are going to attack him like Indiana did. Like Indiana just went blitz, 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 blitz. It was unbelievable. But, you know, there was a, you know, there was a, <laughs> I think there was an opinion I shared in Slack, which I shared before going back to watch the game, which I'm glad I didn't share publicly because now I don't, I don't, I think I was wrong, which is, you know, after the game, I thought that maybe the offensive line didn't play very well. I thought the offensive line played a great game. In fact, I thought it was the I, I thought it was the most complete game that the offensive line played this season. I didn't think that there was any real weak spots, and I think that in all three other games, you could point out guys, uh, specifically Harry Miller and Josh Myers, who had played poorly. But I don't think you could really do that in this game. I thought that was a real positive. Um, the one thing is, like, it just felt like you know when Ryan Day talks about being aggressive, it felt like Justin was just trying to be too aggressive almost. Like it, it like it felt like it felt like he was trying to do a lot which he's always trying to do a lot, but even for Justin Fields, he tried to push it too far. And I think that that's, that's maybe one of the things he can learn from is, you know, he's found, he's found what's too far. Like you can't, as you're falling back, throw up a duck to to, to Julian Fleming in the middle of the field. You just can't do that. And, and, you know, even after that play, so the very next play, um, which um, I'll have in, in, in the rewind, because I thought it was interesting it to me it it epitomized him trying to do too much because the next play was his own read and he kept the ball and he if he was patient if he had just taken a little bit more time he would have had room either on the outside or the inside instead he just ran straight into his offensive lineman and it was like dude like just take it from like a 27 down to a 10 like it 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 felt like at least at certain points the game he was trying to do too much and, and it felt like maybe know that aggressiveness was a little bit too much at the same time he made about five different plays where I thought he was going to get sacked and he somehow didn't and it's like 
man, it's even when he has bad, even when he has a game that, you know, is technically a bad game, he still wows you at 10 different points. Yeah. We're talking about like, he played this horrible game. He threw for 300 yards and he ran for 78. So and the offense at 600 yards. Yeah. I mean, if that's a horrible game, that means you're really good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, I do think him in the blitz is an interesting thing because, you know, he's not someone who necessarily, I think has generally been super rattled by it mainly because he can escape blitzes like nobody else. And, and he can, he can make you pay on the ground. And that's not something that, you know, a lot of people can't do, but I do think, you know, he has to be smart. And I think that Ryan day was correct when he said like, you got either, you got to have an escape patch and got to know, you got to always have a plan of, of wherever you are of how you would throw the ball away. And I don't think that Justin had that at, at certain points. So I am interested to see how he bounces back because he's never really had to do that in a, in a, in a game before at Ohio State because he's never had a bad game. So that's that's the thing that's going to be interesting on Saturday. But, you know, long term, I, I you know, can't say I have any worries about it. I do have Justin to say I was, I was wrong when last week I said, oh, Ohio State, they're not going to need to unleash Justin Fields as a runner. And I think he ran – 15 times because there were a couple designed runs. Yeah. And they did need him to run, but you mentioned the offensive line. I mean, I think it was by far the best for running game has looked this year. I I think the offensive line was excellent in run blocking. You know, Justin Fields did a good job as a runner. And I thought master Teague and Trey Sermon both had their best games as Buckeyes. And we saw master Teague. They, they really did make him their feature back against Indiana. He played, uh, more than twice as many snaps as Trey Sermon. He had three times as many carries. So it's evident at this point that they really do view him as that lead back. But I also thought Trey Sermon looked better and he did in past games. And, you know, I give him credit, like especially last drive, they're trying to run out the clock. You know, he gets a key third down conversion. Teague actually would have been in there. He, he turned his ankle and they took him out for a few plays and Sermon was in there and you know, they really needed a first down. It was a huge play. There were like two and a half minutes left, third and four. They yeah. ran up the middle of Trey Sermon and picked up six. That so was like that. People aren't really talking about that play. That play was gigantic. Yeah. And I thought it's, like, it's important to bring that up because, like, I think Trey Sermon's a guy who hasn't really, you know, gotten much love. But I think that's a play. Like, if he doesn't make that play, there's a very real chance Ohio State loses that game with the way that their defense had been struggling. So, yeah, I mean, it, it felt like in the last, like when, when Indiana got the ball 45 seconds left, it felt like Penance was pressing a little bit. If they had two minutes, I don't know that he would have been feeling that way. And like my feeling was, you know, I, cause I'm sitting there. I'm, I have my, I've had my recap written for them winning since halftime and I'm sitting there going, I'm screwed because I'm thinking if they go down and they score, they're going to go for two and they're going <laughs> to yes, get they it. And Ohio State's going to lose it. Like, uh, that was like, I'm like, if Indiana scores, I think it's over. I think they go for two. I think they get it. And I think Ohio State loses the game. All right. I have a running game take. And I, and, you know, I sort of agree with you. You know, it does feel like Masters getting the the majority of the carries. And I think that that's something I think I predicted last week. Um, and I think he should. My one caveat is like, I don't want to go too like, in a rewatch, I felt this way. I don't really want to go too overboard on the master love. I think master is who he is. I don't think we should try to make him more. Master Teague is very solid. Like master Teague, I think he rushed at 26 times and had one rush for negative yardage. Um, he's not someone who's going to do something really dumb. He's not going to dance in the backfield. He's going to go straight ahead. And, and, you know, he's, he's going to get you three to five yards most of the time. 
but he's not going to be a guy getting you 10 to 12 most of the time. He's going to be in that three to five, three to six yard range. And, you know, he broke that 41 yarder. You know, I think he had a 20 yard or two. You know, I thought he had some, I think the 20 yarder was the most impressive run that he had. I just, if I remember correctly, it was earlier in the game and he, and he, uh, he made someone miss, ran someone over at the end. I, you know, I thought he had a good game, but I think he is who Ohio State needs him to be now. And that is the guy who's going to get them three to five yards, continue to, 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 to move the sticks, keep Ohio State ahead, and, and, you know, don't put them in any second and 12 situations. Minimize those. And, and you know, he's solid. He's, he, he is what Ohio State needs to win a national championship this year on offense. Um, so I think that's where I'm at with him. I just, I don't want anyone thinking that because he ran for 160 plus he's JK Dobbins. Cause I did not get those vibes. I thought that the offensive line was awesome. And I think that that's a lot of the reason why he had as much, uh, had as many yards as he did. Yeah. I mean, like on a 41 yard run, like yeah. it was a good run, but <laughs> he also got like four great blocks. I wrote, I wrote my nose. I was rewatching the game, but Farrell, Farrell- Farrell's block was awesome. And Olave all had blocks that sprung him on that run. So mm-hmm. it was a good run, but it wasn't a spectacular run. It was it was mostly just having the explosiveness to take advantage when the blockers in front of him opened up a hole for him. He also, you know, I thought he, he yeah, I, I thought he was generally good for the first three games in pass protection, and then he was not so great in this game and in particular. Like he was the reason why they had a sack in the red zone near the end of the game that led to the missed field goal, which, you know, should have been made, but, but wasn't. And on the contrary, I thought Sermon was really good in pass protection when he was in the game. I thought he made some excellent pass blocks. Which will be interesting to, to see them going forward. But um, to, you know, I think we've basically talked about everything, but to what, what are sort of going to be your lasting memories of this game? Like going forward, what are, what are going to be the things that actually matter from this game? Like what are, what are going to be the things that you take with you and bring the next one? Cause we keep on seeing it. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that's standing out right now, and I think Ryan Day's clearly concerned about it too, is this team has been outscored in the second half now in three straight games. And, you know, I, I, I was very much downplaying it after the Rutgers game because they basically had all backups in on defense. And, you know, I, I thought it was totally natural to, you know, have a letdown like that in a game they had dominated uh, against Rutgers. But to have it happen again and to this time almost lose because of it, now I feel like, okay, maybe there's, like, actually something wrong here. And I don't exactly know why. Like, we were asked by a, another question by Bring the Juice, why has this team seemed to struggle so much in the second half? Is it because our opponents are better m- – making adjustments at halftime and we are, I mean, I don't know. Like that's such a hard thing to like say, uh, you know, Ryan day keeps bringing up, you know, the lack of energy in the stadium and stuff like that. I mean, to me, if Ohio state's going to be a great team, that can't be an excuse. Like you can't, you can't be struggling to close out games because you don't have fans cheering for you. Like to me, that's something they've got to get past if that's actually an issue. But, you know, I, I do feel like we're at a point here this year where, you know, we're four games into the year and I just don't feel like we've seen this team play a a great four quarter game yet. I think we've seen, you know, great halves, but I just don't think we've seen this team put it together for a great four quarter game yet. And I don't think it matters in the vast majority of these big 10 games. I don't think they need to play four great quarters to beat Illinois or Michigan state 
or Michigan, but it is going to matter in the college football playoff. And so I do think they've got to get to that point where, you know, if they kick a team's ass for the first half, they've got to be able to keep that foot down on the gas pedal and keep it going in the second half too. It's, you know, it's hard because there's not this one thing that, you know, is just continual between the games. I think it's pretty simple though. It's just executions. Individual execution issues have have hurt Ohio State in pretty much every single game, whether it be, you know, a badly timed penalty, a badly timed block. Like if you look at if you look at why drives ended um, for Ohio State in the second half, because listen, we talk a lot about this defense. Like it's not like the offense helped anything in the second half. Either. Oh. Um, so like if you look at why things ended, like say so at a third down and five in the in the third quarter, you know, why there there's a guy that just went there's a defensive lineman who went straight through it right between Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis went untouched and like Justin Fields had to try and scramble. He got no gain. Like that's just communication. That is, that is execution error. You know, then the next time it was T just getting destroyed in pass pro. And, and if that didn't happen, I think Ohio State quarter scored a touchdown. Instead they missed a field goal. And then, you know, you, you look at the next time and, you know, then that's the fourth and one and, you know, I think that we have a question on that, which we can ask, you know, it was from Menbuck, which is on fourth and one, which, you know, happened with, I believe it was, you know, a little under five minutes to go near the goal line in the red zone uh, before the ball was snapped. Yes. When, when you saw Justin Fields and shotgun, what was your take, which is a great way to frame it. I'm guessing Colin, Colin wanted to see a quarterback sneak probably. Listen, man, if you have a hundred percent conversion rate on quarterback sneaks, I don't hate it. And this is not a game where they were being, they were being reserved with using Justin Fields as a runner. It's not like they were trying not to get him hit. Like they ran Justin Fields. So I thought it would have been totally reasonable. You know, also when has master T gotten stopped at the line? Like they could have handed it to master T. Like this is what master T does. Master T gets one yard. <laughs> master T gets two yards. He gets three yards. Like this is what he does. So yeah. Um, I didn't totally love the play call. And, and when I saw him in shotgun, I was like, uh, this isn't the quarterback sneak. That was honestly my one reaction. It was like, I don't know what's coming, but it's not a sneak. And to me, that's now I'm on edge a little bit. Cause I would have done, I would have, I would have sneaked the ball. Yeah. I mean, Ryan day stood by his play call. I agree. I thought it was a little bit questionable, you know, throwing to Farrell on fourth and one. Now, granted Farrell was open. If, if fields makes a accurate throw, it's probably a touchdown. And I wasn't surprised at all. if They went for it because we had already seen, Cybert miss a field goal early in the game. And we've seen Ryan Day do these things before. Now, should he have done it? I don't know. But it didn't surprise me at all that they kept their offense on the field. Whether they made the right offensive play call, uh, I, I think that's definitely up for debate. But, you know, I, I, I do get why why they went for it in that situation, you know. I, I get you not wanting to maybe trust cyber in that situation. I get you, you know, wanting to get the second touchdown. I don't know much a difference 14 points is going to make over 10 in that situation, but I do get why I went for it. It didn't surprise me with, with Ryan day. Um, doesn't necessarily mean I love it, but I get it. Yeah. You know, it reminded me a little, like right when it happened, if you're throwing the ball to Luke Farrell, I just immediately thought of the Maryland game in 2018 when they threw to Rashad Berry and shoot that worked. And if they didn't complete that, they were losing the game. So 
know, he's been known to do stuff like that. So I guess I shouldn't have been totally surprised. And, you know, again, that was execution. He was open. He could have hit him. And, you know, I didn't even mention this earlier, like another offensive drive in the second half ended because Garrett Wilson had back-to-back drops that Justin Fields hit him in the hands and, you know, just didn't happen. Um, So, you know, it, to me, it, to me, a lot of it comes down to execution in the second half. And, and I don't know why they execute better in the first half than the second half, but yeah, even on that fourth and one, like as, even though I didn't love the play, it was there, it was there for the taking. They could have had it. And it's not an excuse for missing the play, but it is worth noting that Ryan day was upset, but a targeting was not called on that play. And he rightfully is wrong because I, I actually did not notice it during the game, but seeing the video of it, I mean, it absolutely was a targeting with an Indiana defender leading his helmet into Justin Fields. One more question from, well, I guess two more questions. We can run through them quickly. Uh, If not, Buck Sparty asks, was there anything Ohio State could have done to review the first parentheses and most egregious fumble but didn't do? Yeah, I mean, they probably could have called a timeout and asked for a replay. Um, I, I don't necessarily know why they didn't um, maybe they just didn't feel that, you know, it was worth, you know, potentially losing a timeout in that situation. I don't know, but I have a real strong take on it. Do you Colin? No, I, you know, it's, it's hard to know too, because you just don't know what they're seeing. Like you don't know right. what replays are getting, like how quickly they're getting them because yeah, from TV, it seemed, seemed like it was a fumble. Um, and I certainly think that, you know, if they wanted to call a timeout, they could have, it's just hard to know what they knew at the time. And that's the thing. Like, it's so, it's so fast. It's, it happens so quickly. I don't, and, and that's where you could have said like, why didn't you just call a timeout? But it was early in the game. Like maybe they didn't want to burn one. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I think that that was just an area, you know, the rest probably should have stopped. It. Yeah. And the officiating was a bit suspect in this game. I will say I'm not a big blame the officials guy, but I don't think the officials had their best game on Saturday. All right. Last one. Earthoid asks, why is everybody so worried? Which is a great one to end on. When I was when I watched Saturday, I saw a dominant performance followed by a half of soft defense and trestle ball. Also, why is OSU the only one that has to be perfect this year? Clemson can lose to Notre Dame and Bama can give up fifty to Ole Miss, but God forbid we let a legit top ten even appear to compete. Shame on us. Bad, bad OSU. I mean, this is a great question. Why do you guys think that we are so unfairly held to the standard by the talking heads and national media, Dan? Well, it's a perfect segue to get into the college ball playoff rankings in a minute. But, uh, I mean, to answer the second question first about being unfairly held to this standard by talking heads in national media, I mean, just from my perspective, the people who seem to be holding Ohio State to the highest standard are Ohio State fans themselves. And it might just be a vocal minority of you on social media. But to me, I feel like the people that are – are constantly the ones being upset over not playing well enough and wins are Ohio state fans themselves. I I don't really see this national national media narrative. That's being harder on Ohio state for not playing well enough in wins that they're being forgiving to Clemson and Alabama. Do you call it? Yeah, not really. Um, and I think that that's where we can move into the college football playoff discussion because, you know, Ohio State's ranked four. And immediately when you saw that and you saw Clemson ranked ahead, it's like, well, I might as well just tweet out this ranking and, and prepare myself because I know what's coming. But, like, you're right. I Like, if you look nationally, 
there weren't a lot of people who were like, I cannot believe this is happening to Ohio State. I think that that was just a lot of Ohio State people who are reasonably concerned that this team's supposed to win a national championship just like last year's was. And all of a sudden, like you have a major concern and you're not 100% you're sure you can do it. I don't, I don't get the gist. I, I don't get the feeling that I'm looking around and people are like, I don't believe in this Ohio State team anymore. I think a lot of people in Columbus now are a little bit concerned. Yeah, and I actually got the impression. I thought the, the national takeaway for the most part was Indiana's really good. Like I think yeah, that, yeah. that was the perception I got from a lot of people was like Indiana's legit. Like Indiana gave Ohio State a real game here. So I really don't think you know, the national media or, or anyone really is holding Ohio state to some unfairly high standard that is hurting them. And, and that goes to the college football playoff rankings too, if we go to it, because yeah, I mean, we knew as soon as we saw Clemson ahead of Ohio state and the rankings that uh, they were going to be angry Ohio state fans, but you know, for me, I mean, two points of that. First of all, I think it's hilarious because I see some of the same people who were, I rate about the past defense and are saying we have no chance to win in the playoff are suddenly cannot believe that they've been slighted be being put behind Clemson, but the team that would probably have the most success against this past defense, if it's as bad as you think it is, but to the point of just for rankings themselves, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I just really don't think Ohio state's got much of a complaint here. I, I really don't. I mean, Ohio state's played four games. They've played one game against a good team. The other Three opponents teams, absolutely sucked. Like looking back on it, I, yeah, I, I don't think that we really gave them their due at how bad these. No, three teams. I don't think we realized how bad. Those no, I, I didn't. Yeah, I mean, they might legitimately be the three worst teams in the Big Ten in Nebraska. Yeah. Penn State. You're out here saying you were out here saying before the season you thought Penn State was going to be the best team on the schedule. Yeah, I thought it Michigan might be was the worst. Be the yeah, <laughs> Penn State. There are three teams in the Big 12, ACC, Big 10, SEC that haven't won a game. And it's Kansas, Vanderbilt, and Penn State. Like, <laughs> what are we doing here? That is that is a wild that – that is a wild stat right there. But, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like to me – I mean, to me, the real takeaway from the rankings shouldn't be that Ohio State's getting disrespected by being put behind Clemson. I think it should be that Ohio State is getting respected by being in the top four because, you know – I. I said it, I said it right before rankings dropped. I said it to, you know, our staff, a little more. I said, I have no idea how this is going to go. And everyone else was like, I think they're going to be three. I'll be honest. I thought they might be five or six. I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest. I thought they might be five or six because I thought the lack of games and specifically the lack of games that they've played against good teams. I thought that was going to be held against them. I think to some extent it was, but like I was shocked on Monday when I saw the sportsbook bet online had odds that had Ohio state as the favorite to be number two in the rankings. And that would have absolutely shocked me because I mean, to me, I, I don't know how you would have put them over Notre Dame, but you know, to me, I mean, I think four is completely fine where they're at, you know? And I think it's, I think really you should be happy about it because to me, the only thing that we were going to see on Tuesday night, it would have really changed anything would have been if Ohio state was like significantly lower than we expected, in which case we might've thought, okay, the college football playoff selection committee is really going to hold it against Ohio state. 
that it isn't playing as many games and it has a weak schedule and it might not get in if it wins out. But to me, the fact that Ohio State is number four leaves me basically no doubt that if Ohio State wins out, it's going to be in the college football playoff. And, you know, I don't, I don't know how seeding is going to work. I mean, I, you know, I think, you know, Alabama and whoever wins a Notre Dame Clemson, if they have a rematch of ACC championship game, I think those teams are on track to be the top two if they went out and Ohio state would probably be either three or four behind them. But I, I think the path is clear for Ohio state. You can win the rest of your games. You're going to get in the playoff. And ultimately that's all that really matters. Yep. I think it's winning their end. I, I do think being at four, you know, I, there's, there's part of me that left open a little room where it's 2020, like weird things are happening in college football. Like maybe there's a chance they could sneak in if they had a loss. I think it's probably winning your end, losing your out. So I think that that's probably where I'm at, but Hey, like that's where most people were at. So I, I just don't think there was much of a change. And, you know, once we get closer, we can start talking about the seedings. I think it's just even weird to even talk about it now. Cause it's just, you never know how things are going to play out. I, you know, when you beat three teams that suck and then beat a top 15 team, by seven points like I, I don't think that you have a, a I don't think you have a huge case to be to be much higher like I think four is totally reasonable I, I think it's defensible and I understand why some people don't like it I, I really do but you know I think it's okay and I also think from a big picture perspective if you just step back from this specific ranking the ultimate you know the ultimate path doesn't change like if they win they're in and, and that's sort of as simple as it is to me yeah, I mean, I think the good thing is having Northwestern at number eight right now. And like to me, if you're an Ohio State fan, there's three teams you should be rooting for the rest of the season. Ohio State, Indiana, and Northwestern. Because you want Northwestern to be eight and no. I mean, Northwestern plays three bad teams the rest of the season. You want Northwestern to be eight and no and going into Big Ten Championship game. You want Indiana to go seven and one because then that's just gonna bolster your resume. If, if those teams end up both being highly ranked. And I think they both are capable of doing that. So, you know, I, I think, you know, you've got, you've got another chance there for a potential resume boosting win, but yeah, I, I just don't think a lot has changed. And like you said, I think it's really hard to forecast things like seeding because typically you can look and say, okay, this team's going to, this team's going to play this team, this team, this team but we don't know if those games are going to happen right now because it's 2020. So I, I think you just kind of have to be braced for anything. But to me, it really does just simply come down to if Ohio state wins out, it's probably going to be in. So that's all Ohio state needs to worry about right now. So to spend 90 seconds on Illinois, Dan, <laughs> do you think what, what is possibly going to be interesting about this game beyond the alternate uniforms? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think it's a very interesting matchup, to be honest. Um, You know, I mean, I think, you know, just because of a way this season's been, like, this isn't like last season, where, like, last season, because Ohio State was just so dominant, made it look so easy every week, but I'd just be like, this game's going to be a blowout, and, like, that's it. Like, the way they've been playing, it's like, okay, like, you know, I'm interested to see, is Ohio State going to go in and – play four good quarters finally. I mean, are they finally going to go in and just blow out a team that they should blow out? Because they should. On paper, they should. Um, I don't necessarily know if they will, just because that's not quite the way this team has played so far this season. But at the same time, I I don't think Ohio State's going to be in any jeopardy of losing this game. 
you know, the 28 point spread, do they cover, do they not? I just don't know to be completely honest, but you know, I, I, I don't think there should be in any jeopardy of losing this game. I mean, I think the matchup plays into Ohio State's strength because Indiana is a much better running team than passing team and Ohio State has a much better run defense than pass defense. So I think that plays into Ohio State's strengths. And like I said, if Justin Fields doesn't bounce back and play well this week, I'd be surprised. So I expect it to be a generally lopsided game. I, mean, I think the biggest thing I'm interested in is can Ohio State finally get to a point where it's going to be able to get its backup some extended playing time? Because if it doesn't happen this week or next week, it's just not going to happen this year. What, you don't think they're going to blow out Michigan or you think they're going to roll, they're going to try for 100? Yeah, I just don't think they're going to play the backups for a half against Michigan, I think. I think they're going to try. I think think if they're blowing out Michigan, they're going to try to keep blowing out Michigan. I mean, I'll be honest. Like, that game I don't think is going to be close. I will be very excited to watch that game, just the way these two programs are trending. But – to spend 12 seconds on Illinois, yeah, come, like I agree with generally what you said. I, I don't think that this is a dangerous game for Ohio State. It's not like, you know, Maryland would have been interesting because I think Maryland, Maryland's passing attack would have challenged Ohio State. I, I really don't think Illinois is going to challenge Ohio State through the air. And then, like like I've said, I'm very high on this front seven. Maybe I'm proven wrong. I think that that's the one thing. I'm just looking for confirmation bias this game because that's all I can get because, you know, one of the best things Illinois does is run. And one of the best things Ohio State does is stop the run. So um, I want to see Ohio State stop the run against a good running team that they know is going to run run the ball at them. So that's that's probably the one thing. And maybe we'll see if Lovey Smith learned from Greg Schiano and attempts 78 trick plays. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just, it's interesting just like talking to Lovey Smith and talking to Illinois players. Like you just – maybe they're just being really secretive, but you just don't get the sense that, it's up, that, that that's their MO. Like you just get the sense like – they're going to go in and play their game and they think that's the best thing for them. And that's, listen, I get it. You're not being Ohio State doing that. I don't think so. And if that's what you're doing, like, I don't know. I'm just. But who knows? Maybe we're bad taking ourselves again here. Yeah. Well, hey, what? Done that every single week probably. So. Especially last week. Especially last week. So we should probably talk about recruiting. And, you know, I know our recruiting analyst, Zach Carpenter, listens to this podcast. So shout out to you, Zach. We had too much to talk about, yep. so we couldn't bring you on. Um, so we are going to talk recruiting without you, and, and you can let us know what mistakes you made. But, Dan, Ohio State is the best quarterback in the country in 2022, and Ohio State has maybe the best wide receiver in the country in 2022. Both are from Texas. Both are going to end up playing for the Buckeyes. And uh, it appears Ryan Day is still good at recruiting. Yes, Ohio State in the past week has landed commitments from Quinn Ewers, who is the number one quarterback in the class of 2022, and then Caleb Burton, who's also a five-star prospect at wide receiver, both from the state of Texas. So that tells you how things are going for Tom Herman's program down in Austin. But, I mean, we've seen it at Ohio State. I mean, they, they really ha- had more success recruiting Texas than anybody over the past six years. And they're doing it again. And this 2022 class, I mean, it's it's looking really strong. They've got five top 50 overall prospects right now. They've got a significant lead on the number one class. Now, like we saw last year, it, eventually teams like Alabama and Clemson, they're going to catch up. They're going to get more commitments later. So who knows if Ohio State ultimately ends up with a number one class in 2022. But 
either way, it, it, this class has a lot of momentum right now. It's looking like it's really going to be really good. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, it looks like it's going to be maybe the. I, it, it, it's funny because you hear this every every time early in the cycle, like maybe it's going to be the best. I mean, again, like maybe this is the best because, like, I, I it's funny, like every time I look up a new Ohio State recruiting stat, I'm like, oh my, I had no idea, and that was what I did when Kayla when uh, what was it when Caleb Burton committed, and I was like, I looked up how many top fifty prospects Ohio State had, which is five. And then I looked up how many commitments from top 50 prospects were to everybody else in college football. And that number was five. Ohio state has as many as the rest of college football. And it's like, sometimes I don't want to be like super carried away uh, because I sort of want to keep things in perspective, but the perspective is that Ohio state is recruiting at a level that either matches or surpasses every, everybody else in the country. I mean, that's what Ryan Day is doing. Like, I, I, I was a little skeptical when Ryan Day was hired that he could recruit as well as Urban. I mean, you can easily make the case that he's recruiting better than Urban. I mean, at a bare minimum, he's at Urban's pace, which is incredible for Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, he's doing a phenomenal job. And I mean, what, what really stands out to me is at the quarterback and wide receiver positions, just the amount of talent they are inc- – they are accumulating at those two spots i mean at quarterback we know justin fields is going to be gone after this year but you've got cj stroud and jack miller you've got kyle mccord coming in next year now you've got quinn ewers coming in year after you know those are four guys who could potentially be your starting quarterback at ohio state most likely at least two of them are going to finish their career somewhere else because that's just the way it works in quarterback recruiting but they are getting the kind of guys that they need to continue to have elite quarterback play for years to come. And you wrote about it last week, Colin, about how Ohio State is becoming quarterback you to the people who matter most, who, of course, are the recruits. So how do you think we got to this point where a school that has not been known for developing NFL quarterbacks is all of a sudden becoming such a top destination for a guy like Quinn Ewers? I mean, we could do – a whole podcast on this because I think it's, I think it's fascinating. I mean, it's so funny. It's like, like the real answer is it started with a mistake. Like they were going to have Tristan Wallace be the quarterback in the 2016 class. And they decided to play wide receivers. They needed somebody. So they went to Dwayne Haskins. who's a Maryland commit and Michael Oxley wasn't going to stay in Maryland. They're making a coaching change. So he flipped to Ohio state. Like if there are multiple things there, like if Tristan Wallace stays at quarterback, I'm not sure this happens. If, Mike Loxley stays at Maryland. I'm not sure this happens. Instead, Dwayne Haskins came shortly thereafter. Ryan day gets hired. And what happened to, to like, from my point of view is, you know, in 2018, Dwayne Haskins does what Dwayne Haskins does catches the eye of Justin Fields, who makes what he called a business decision to go to Ohio state and they're off. So I think Dwayne Haskins, to be honest, like from my perspective, like you can make a, you can make a, completely reasonable case Justin Fields is the most important person in this because like when you have Justin Fields it it makes a guy like Quinn Ewers who's the number two prospect in the country the same number that Justin Fields was look at Ohio State and be like okay I can do I can do what he does but Dwayne started it to me and Dwayne showed that 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 Ohio State can develop NFL quarterbacks which I I know everybody knows you know wasn't really the case for a while and I think I think it's astounding to see how quickly it happened though, because it happened as an accident. You didn't know that Ryan day was going to be the head coach 
as that season was happening. And by the time that year was over, you could tell that Justin Fields might be that next guy. It was unbelievable how quickly it happened. And now it's just snowballed, snowballed. And you're like, it's one of those things where you look at, and, and I compared it when I wrote that article, I compared it a little bit to what Larry Johnson has at the defensive line. And then what Kerry Combs had at the defensive backfield, which is once you get the snowball rolling, as long as you're there, unless something egregious happens, you make, I, I don't know, unless something egregious happens, you can continue to roll that thing and until you leave. And you saw that, you, you've seen that with Larry Johnson. He's been able to continue that. I mean, you got Zach Harrison, you got Jack Sawyer coming, JT Tulmolowow. Was that close, Dan? <laughs> I don't think you got it. I don't think you got it. <laughs> but you've got guys like that in the pipeline. And then, you know, I mean, Sean Wade's the 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 last remaining five-star that that I think Tyreek Johnson actually technically might be the last remaining five-star that, that Kerry Combs got. But, you know, he had that thing rolling. And then he leaves – and, you know, the, it felt like the defensive backfield recruiting took a step back a little bit. And now he comes back and it starts rolling again. And I think that, like, as long as Ryan Day and Corey Dennis stay in place and Corey Dennis hired by Ryan Day for the purpose of continuity, basically the sole purpose of continuity, as long as they're here, it's one of those things where I just don't – I think this thing's just going to continue going, which is incredible because it feels like it's just getting started. But you look at the pipeline and it's like – Kyle McCord, CJ Stroud, Jack Miller, Quinn Ewers, like they are going to have their pick. And it, it I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, it, to be an Ohio State fan right now, it's just like, it's, it is, it, it, it's, it's, it's I, I imagine it's incredible because you look down the line and it's like, when will this thing end? As long as you're recruiting like this, it won't. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You know, Dwayne Haskins deserves a lot of credit for this. I think Justin Fields has took it to another level. Uh, I think we got to give Corey Dennick credit here for getting Quinn Ewers. I mean, his, this was really his first test as a recruiter was to get a top quarterback from a class of 22, 2022 and to get the number one guy in the class. Uh, that's massive, but yeah, I, I, mean, I don't know how much he did, but the one thing I was, uh, he didn't screw it up. No, <laughs> like he's here. So like Quinn Ewers committed to Ohio state to play for Ryan day. Well, yeah. And that's but, what I but, was going to, yeah, but, that's but he didn't screw it up. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to say is Dwayne Haskins, just Fields, Corey Dennis, they all play a big part in it. But Ryan Day is the real reason for this because Urban Meyer was recruiting quarterbacks to be Tim Tebow. Ryan Day is Ryan Day is recruiting quarterbacks to be NFL first-round picks. And you know, I think that's, that's the big difference here is I think, you know, we know Urban Meyer, he loved his running quarterback. He loved a certain kind of quarterback. But Ryan Day, he wants that NFL quarterback. He wants that that elite passer. And I think that's really where we're seeing that change here now is elite passers want to come play for Ohio State because they see it. You know, they're, Ohio State's about to have its second first-round pick at quarterback in three years. They see a guy in Ryan Day who they think can develop them into that next first-round pick. Good time to be rooting for Ohio State, I'd imagine. Yeah, and I mean It'll the good thing for those be the case in five years too. <laughs> the good thing for those quarterbacks is they're going to have a lot of talent to throw to at wide receiver because you add Caleb Burton to, you know, this class fit just came in: Jackson Smith and Jigba, Julian Fleming, G. Scott Jr., Mookie Cooper. You've got Jaden Boward and Marvin Harrison Jr. coming in next year, and maybe Emeka Egbuka. They're still working on that one, and that would be an enormous get if they get him a top ten overall recruit in the class of twenty twenty one. So they're just absolutely loading up on quarterbacks and receivers. And 
you know, you, you were talking about a snowball effect. I mean, I think Brian Hartline's absolutely got that going at wide receiver right now where he's just bringing in elite talent year in and year out. Yeah, that man does not have a snowball. He has an avalanche. <laughs> That's a good one. I feel like we could talk about Ohio State recruiting success all day. So, like, we just have to put a stop to it because yeah. we're going to talk about it again and again and again and again. And I don't think we're going to stop anytime soon. I mean, there no. are guys who, like, we're looking at right now, and it's like, could there be another top 100 overall prospect from Texas commit within the next week? Like, maybe. I don't know. Like that's the world we live in. Like who knows right now, but we should finish out with a couple questions and, and three things we think, wherein we say three things we think, and Dan, mine are going to be all about basketball. So I know everybody when they hear that is going to turn off the podcast. So you start, you, you keep the listeners here. All right. Uh, I'll, I will start by saying that we talked a couple weeks ago about grades for Al Washington and Greg Madison. And I just want to go back on Al Washington, but I'm pretty much ready to go solid A on Al Washington right now, because I think the linebackers are playing excellent. I mean, I saw a tweet from Jim Nagy, the executive director of the senior bowl yesterday. He said, he thinks they're the best linebackers in the country and it's not even close. And I, I agree with his assessment, but I think all three of those starters, tough Borland, Pete Warner and Baron Browning have all made tremendous strides this year. And I think certainly Al Washington's got a lot to do with that. And when you pair that with what he's done on the recruiting trail, which I think has also been excellent. I think, you know, I, I'm really starting to buy into Al Washington now as a guy who I think is really doing an excellent job at, at Ohio state and is a guy that can be, you know, this rising star that people thought he was when he came to Ohio state. Yep. I think that's, I think that's fair. I think, uh, you know, the one thing I, you know, I want to, I want to see him recruit and develop a guy like he's, he, you know, it's, it's, it, he's doing a great job. He's also doing it with veterans who had basically all started before he had gotten to Ohio state. So like they had bad deserves, habits that he had to get them out of, he, he did. And I, and, and to be honest, like, that's why I think last year's coaching job was so stellar by him because they were really good last year, even if they didn't get a ton of credit. Um, I think this year, like, yeah, they've taken another step. They've taken the the step forward that you definitely would have hoped. And I'll say this too, like, um, you know, I think from my perspective, sometimes when I look at this defense and I say, are the linebackers really the strength? Like my, 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 my one takeaway is like, what does that really mean about the rest of the defense? Like if the linebackers are the strength, but like Pete Warner is playing really, really good. Um, he, he's playing really good football. Um, I think tough Borland is playing really well. I think, you know, he's very consistent. I think him against a run right now, like people always talk about like, he's the kind of guy you want against Wisconsin, but you know, I thought, I thought he wasn't awesome all the time sometimes against the run. I think he's really good against the run right now. Um, I think Baron Brown, he's flying around better. He's in a better role this year. And, and Justin Hillier has been really good on the field. So yeah, I mean, this is this is the kind of group that, that you would hope for as an Ohio State fan when you got a bunch of veterans. Yeah, I mean, I think my only real takeaway in regards to the what is the linebackers being the best unit on the team, say about the rest of the defense, is that I think the fact that Pete Warner and Baron Browning were lining up at outside cornerback as much as they were on Saturday might say something about the, the problems Ohio State has at cornerback. Yeah, it's not 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 thrilling, but 
So my three things. So, you know, Ohio State opens the season, opens the basketball season at 2 p.m. on Wednesday, and I know that you know by by this by that time, some of you probably haven't listened to this. Some of you have. I, I don't know. So I'm going to say just three things that I'm looking forward to seeing this whole season. So I think number one is I just want to see how far this backcourt can take Ohio State because. You know, it's interesting to me that they have Dwayne Washington and C.J. Walker back, and it feels on one hand like I, I sort of know who they are, but, like, these are guys who I think can still take another step forward. I, I, I you know, C.J. Walker's really rounding into form late last season, and Dwayne, I think he's he's got a ways to go still as a decision maker, and if he can start if he can start making better decisions of, of when to shoot the ball, when to pass the ball, like, I, I really – I really like what he can be as a player. I'm intrigued by Jimmy Sotos as, as you know, the, the backup there. And whatever Michi Johnson can give them is interesting. I, I, I really have no idea what to expect from him. My expectations are pretty low just because he hasn't played since his sophomore year of high school. But, I, you know, I, I don't know how far this backcourt can take Ohio State, but, but I'll be interested to see. I think I really have anything to add to that. So Fair. Uh, yeah, I will uh, – I'll, I'll say this for my second thing is – I'm interested to see how Ryan Day navigates this whole situation with the pass defense and the team, you know, showing some vulnerability or not, not looking as great as we expected, because I, I don't think he was ever really tested last year. I think in his first year as a head coach, I think everything went so smoothly and just met or exceeded expectations all year long. But he never really had to overcome a whole lot of adversity or, or really fix anything as a head coach. And I think right now there's clearly some things that he needs to fix. And I'm just interested to see how well he navigates that, especially if these problems persist. Because I just I think back to 2018, not in the sense I don't compare this defense to 2018 because they're much better against the run. But I, I just do think back, especially when I hear the stuff on Tuesday where they're saying, I, we think our scheme's good. We think our scheme's good. It does give me slight flashbacks to 2018 of when it was clear Urban Meyer and Greg Schiano thought their scheme that, that they were doing was the best thing. And even when it consistently didn't work, it, it felt like Urban was just kind of hands off and he just kind of left it to Schiano and Schiano didn't make the fixes he needed to make. And it just kind of got worse and worse. I don't think that's going to happen here, but I'm just interested to see how Ryan Day navigates it because I don't think he had to do it at all last year. And I think this is the first time really as a head coach where I think he's got to step in on that other side of a ball that's not his expertise. And he, as the head coach, has got to take ownership of making sure that it gets fixed even if Kerry Combs might be the one who has to actually make the fixes, but Ryan day as the head coach has to make sure those fixes happen. And he has to have an influence on taking responsibility for what's wrong and making sure it gets better. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause like, he's someone who's been in the honeymoon phase essentially for like two years. <laughs> like, like what has Ryan day done wrong? Like there's really not a lot. I mean, there are certain calls that, you know, people question, but they're not even, big calls like they're not single calls that have changed games right. changed the outcomes of games so I think it is interesting <clears throat> like this is something you know it is you know he's an offensive guy it's still his team so if, if the defense doesn't get fixed like that's his defense that's not getting fixed so I'm 
it, it will be interesting to, to see how he responds. I think, I think that that's, you know, he, he mentioned today, like he's involved. So, you know, he's, we hold Harry, Kerry Combs accountable. We also hold Ryan Day. He has to be held accountable. He's the head coach. Fair. All right. Number two basketball thing. You know, I'm fascinated by what Justice Suing and Seth Towns can do. I feel like I'm really high on Justice Suing. So hopefully that one pays off. Otherwise, I'm going to look a little dumb. But I, I think Justice Suing might lead them in scoring. I am very, very high on what he can do. You know, he's someone who, you know, it's a little, you know, he, he's the kind of guy who's a wing, but he can also handle the ball really well. He's going to be able to, to get into the paint more so than, than guys over the past couple of years have been able to do. You know, he's someone who I'm really interested to see. But also, like, I always thought that he and Seth Towns would play off each other really well because Seth Towns is, you know, he's someone, he's a shooter. Like, he's a 45% guy from outside the arc. Justice Suing, he shot below 35% at Cal from, from three-point range. So, you know, they're, they're still sort of complimenting each other. I just don't know when Seth Towns is going to get back this year. And even when he does, I don't really know what kind of, what, what kind of basketball he's going to be able to play. Like, is he going to look anything remotely like the Harvard, uh, the Harvard Ivy league player of the year that he, that he was in the 17, 18 season. I don't think that you can expect that right away. Um, and maybe you hope that you get him back on the court in January or so, and, and you get him a couple months and by the end of the season, he, he's clicking, but you know, those are two guys who are super, super important and are really high on what justice can do. I just don't really know what to expect from Seth Towns this year. Yeah. I mean, like I had high hopes for Seth Towns when he transferred, but it's been what over two years now since he's played an actual yeah, it's basketball been game. Two and a half years. I mean, it was the Ivy league championship game in March of 2018. Yeah. I mean, that that's a long time. So I agree with you. I don't know what you can expect there. We, we never did do a basketball team draft this year like we did a football team draft, but I was fascinated to know if we ever did it, where Justice Suing was going to be on your draft board, because I know you are very high on him. I'm just like rifling through guys in my mind right now, because, you I mean, like, yeah, I mean, this is like the fantasy draft. If we pick five on five, if we were just running five on five right now, who would we pick? And like, I can make a strong case for every single starter. I really can like, like part of me wants to pick Justice Suing, but part of me is like, why don't I just go get Kyle Young? And then I'm like, why don't I just go get EJ Liddell? EJ Liddell might be the best guy. And then it's like, well, Dwayne Washington might be the leading scorer on this team. I think you can make a case for any of them. I might go Justice Suing because I'm super high on him. But I also like, I feel like I'm crazy, but I almost might even go Kyle Young because, because Kyle Young's a, Kyle Young does something that this team needs. And that is, that is, he's the energy guy who's going to be, a rebounder, defensive guy in the paint, and he also apparently can shoot threes this year, which I'm going to need to see to believe. Um, but apparently he, he can do it. So I, I don't know. I, I guess maybe that's my third thing. I don't know. See, I think I think I would have thought you would have gone EJ Liddell, and I think I mm-hmm. probably would have gone EJ Liddell. And But I think that's just indicative of what this team is. Like there's, there's no star on this team right now. Maybe someone becomes one, but mm-hmm. this is just not a team that has – anything close to an established yeah. star going into the first game. Of yeah, this is an I don't have a freaking clue what to expect game on, on Wednesday. I mean, some of you will have already watched it by the time you listen to this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the shot on Wednesday, and I have no idea what I'm going to see. Um, it's going to be interesting in that respect. I know we keep harping on past defense and all this stuff, so I feel like I shouldn't bring it up again, but it's what we spent a lot of time thinking about the last few days. So I am going to go back to it for my third thing, I think. And – Say, I think Ohio State screwed up by not 
going after a defensive back in the transfer market. Cause I have to think there would have been someone out there that they could have gotten who could have helped them right now. And, you know, I think there was, I think there's been, you know, I think there was a lot of talk like last year when Ryan day started about like, he's going to be ruthless with roster moves and like bringing in Justin Fields. And like, he, he's not going to be afraid to go out and, and bring in a guy who might, you know, steal someone else's starting spot. But that's kind of one where I look at it and I go, you know, I'm not going to name names, but I do look at it and I say, you know, there's some players on this team who at this point I feel pretty confident are not going to contribute at Ohio state. And I think he probably didn't pursue a transfer because he didn't have any open scholarships. But I think, especially as you start looking ahead to next year, when, you know, transfers are effectively going to become free agency and everyone's going to be on the open market. I think there's going to probably, if you're a Ryan day or a Nick Saban or a Davo Sweeney, there's probably going to have to be some ruthlessness in terms of encouraging guys out the door. If they're taking up a roster spot and there's somebody out there that you can go get, I think, I mean, I think it's going to change college football a lot. And that's just one where I look at where like the next time they're in a situation like this, like maybe they need to be a little bit more aggressive in going and getting a transfer who can help them right away. Because I just think the lack of veteran defensive back options on this team right now is a problem. And as we talked about before, it kind of leaves them stuck with the guys they have out there now, whether they're the right guys or not. And I have to think there's probably someone they could have brought in that could have maybe made that situation better. Yeah. It's hard to know. Cause I'm, I'm always, you know, I don't, I don't like the coaches who always like, I, I don't really like what Mike Leach does. <laughs> like it yeah. feels like he goes in there and runs, runs a bunch of people. And that's off. not like, what I'm saying at yeah. all. Yeah, that's I, not what I'm saying at all. Yeah. So I think there is a fine line there because you don't want to be running people off. It is like, if you could add, if you could go back though, and like the Trey Sermon ad was because of need. Like it felt like defensive back at the time was a big need, but for some reason they just weren't going to do it. I'm not hundred percent sure why. And it is one of those things where like defensive back does not feel like a place where you're going to get an elite guy. Like like that, that's one of those things. And I think that that might've yeah, played. And into maybe the there just wasn't that guy out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but I do think even still, you can, you can take a swing. And, and I think that that is probably something they regret and, you know, you can look at the whole, you know, timeline of, of how they got here. And it's, you know, it's, it's losing coaches and subsequently losing recruits. It's, it's guys flipping. It's, you know, the arrest, like you said, like there's a, there's a lot that, that actually went into it, but you know, you could have made a move in response and, and retrospect, it's easy to say in retrospect. I don't know if we said back then, um, but it appears that they should have. <laughs> we have two food questions. We do yeah, have I'm glad that questions. we end with food. Two food yeah, I was going to say, I didn't know if you had another third thing, but I guess we. Oh, already... oh, I, I guess my last third thing. I forgot that I even had one. Uh, I'll just say, like, I asked Chris, you know, I, I, it was interesting because, you know, like, you never know 100% sure if a coach is just feeding UBS or if they're being real with you. And, you know, co- uh, like Chris Holtman, you know, sometimes it's a little bit, I, I feel like I understand when he's BSing, um, but I couldn't 100% tell on this one. So I was interested. So I asked him because it seemed like um, 
it seemed like he was talking a little bit about defense for it, it, he was bringing up defense by himself a couple of times in, in pre- previous press conferences. And I was, and I basically asked him like, is this just like a coach thing you're doing where like you're interested to see, or are you re- legitimately a little bit nervous about defense? And he said, that is a real concern that he has. And, and that's something that they identified early is because, you know, you lose, you lose Andre, you lose Caleb in the post. And I think Caleb, you know, he said it. I agree with it. Caleb was an underrated post defender. It's just his ability to protect the rim, and they don't really have that this year. So I think that, like, we talk a lot about offense, and we talk a lot about, like, how many points you're losing, like, who's going to lead them in scoring, you know, what all these different things. Defensively, they're going to, they're in a, they're an interesting spot because, like, I think CJ Walker's a fine defender. Dwayne Washington, not, not, not really a fine defender, I would say. Justice Sewing reports are offensively really good. Defensively, could use some work. Like EJ Liddell was not a refined defender last year. Kyle Young is going to be playing center, um, which is, you know, he's 225 pounds, like Kofi Coburn's in the league. Like he's going to be undersized some nights. So I do think defense is a legitimate issue. And I think it's worth bringing up and something that we just haven't talked a lot about. And to be honest, like if this, if this football season didn't feel like a complete sprint, I probably would have written about it at some point, but there's only so much you can do about basketball as, as football goes on here. So the fourth thing I think is I'm really surprised it's a week after the NBA draft and we've still heard absolutely nothing about Caleb Wesson signing up a professional basketball team. True. I think he will at some point, but, um, you know, we'll see. It's a weird year. I mean, it's kind of like probably like with Robert Landers after the NFL draft where it's 2020 and things are just a little different and those opportunities are a little hard to come by. Yeah, he'll have a professional career, and I think he'll have a chance to make it in the NBA. I mean, you never, you never know. Like you never. Yeah, know. I mean, Jay Sean Tate, we just saw of him. He, he's just signed up the Houston Rockets after going to Australia. Mm-hmm. So there are many different routes you can potentially take to the NBA. So, two food questions. Tussie asks, "What is the best slice of pizza you have ever had? It can be from anywhere." Yeah, I'm, I'm certain this came up before because um, I remember talking about it before, but I will say. Volturno Pizza in Worcester, Massachusetts. Or I grew up in Massachusetts, and so they have really good Italian brick oven pizza. Uh, that's probably the best pizza I've ever had. You know what's funny is like now that you said that, I, I had forgotten that we were asked that, and I think that I didn't have an answer last time. Do so you I have came an prepared? I came prepared with an answer, and and it's not. I don't really. I don't know if this is my best ever. It's just my best recently. So I hope that. I hope that's okay. But Citizen Pie in Cleveland. Just, just trust me. Just go get it. Just trust me. Just trust me. I, I trust you on that. I don't trust you going on to this next question because I found out just before this podcast that you don't think. No, you're not saying, Dan, you can't bring good. this up on the podcast. Oh. Why not? No. Okay. You can do it. You can do it. So it's my hot, it's no. my hottest take. I learned, I take. learned before, just before this podcast that Colin is not a big Thanksgiving food guy. No, and and I, I I'm almost it's not I'm almost I am embarrassed to admit because I feel like I should be like and, and you know it's I feel like it's something I've been hiding for 25 years now and I, and I you know people should know people should know I think think I think some Thanksgiving food is good. Um, I you know, Thanksgiving's just not one of those where I'm like I cannot wait for Thanksgiving food. To me, it's just like you know it's a it's a fine meal, it's a solid meal, but. It's not, it's not one of those things that I look forward to 364 other days. And I know that Dan, I'm just looking at him right now. Dan is just like throwing his head back. Like I thought I knew you Colin to learn that you don't, you don't like Thanksgiving food. I'm 
Um, and I apologize because Gannon Juice does ask, you have one Thanksgiving side and one dessert for eternity. What do you choose? And he also says, if you, if you choose green bean casserole, you are a psychopath, to which I say, I agree. And also, like, if green bean casserole is one of the main foods at Thanksgiving, like, I rest my case. Yeah, I mean, green bean casserole is fine, but it's not even in my, like, top six, at least. Uh, Thanksgiving side, I mean, there's a lot of good options, but I, I got to go mashed potatoes. Like, I'm a mashed potatoes guy. Like, I if I have a Thanksgiving plate, I always need a big helping of mashed potatoes, so. If I get one for eternity, it's mashed potatoes. I'm not, I'm not a big mashed potatoes guy. I mean, it, I'm just full of terrible Thanksgiving food takes. I, I think that's, I think, I think mashed potatoes is one of the most universally liked foods, and I, and I am not a big mashed potatoes guy. I, on, I, I once I, saw you order a plate of mashed potatoes and just eat I, potatoes. Dan, so. I ate mashed potatoes tonight. But I'm still not a huge mashed potatoes person. Again, mashed potatoes, it's just like, you know, it's a fine meal. It's not something that I'm like looking forward to. It's just mashed potatoes. It's like a normal food to me. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. And that is where like my one Thanksgiving side to me is mac and cheese. But it's like, what? I can get mac and cheese any day. Like, why do I have to wait till Thanksgiving? I don't know. Yeah, I, like, I don't know. Like, I mean, at least to me, I guess it's probably different for everybody. But to me, like, I don't, I don't really associate that as like a traditional thanksgiving side i think that's totally fair and it's just like like green but that's one of those things where it's like green bean casserole i don't think it's ever been made in my household <laughs> so like yeah, right I, I know that that is one of the things but but that's just not something here so like mac and cheese is definitely something every year and i know that we're going to have it this year so i i look forward to eating mac and cheese and um not turkey because turkey is just so bleh <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to just anger you at this point. <laughs> well, I feel like dessert is probably where I go of a hot takes. Cause like, I'm just, not, I'm not a pumpkin pie guy. Like, is that really like, but I don't really even know like what the other traditional like Thanksgiving desserts are, but like pumpkin pie, pecan pie, like those are okay. But like, I'm more of like a chocolate guy. So like, I'm probably not like, I probably wouldn't pick like any of the traditional Thanksgiving desserts for eternity. Um, that's just me like what about you Colin yeah you know I'm, I'm sort of the same way but I'll be honest like you know this is where I actually go traditional I was not a big pie guy in general for like the first 24 years of my life I don't know why I just you know it wasn't one of those cravings I had but in the last year you know I've, I've had a, I've had some pumpkin pie a couple times and I'm I'm all in I don't know. I don't know what I was doing for 20. It's one of those things where it's like, what, what was I, why did I not like this? Like, why was I just convinced that I didn't like it for 24 years? And then it's like, oh yeah, like just put some whipped cream on it. Like things, things are, things are okay, Colin. Like we can do this. I don't yeah, know. I don't, Pumpkin pie and mac and cheese, I think are, are my two answers. Yeah. I don't dislike it, but it's just like, to me, it's just, it's just okay. Like, yeah, listen it again, this is my thing or it's like, Pumpkin pie is not my favorite dessert. It's not in my top 10 favorite desserts, which is why Thanksgiving dinner or Thanksgiving, like Thanksgiving meal is not something that I look forward to every single, like throughout the year. I don't know. I don't know. And I'm, listen, I think that's one of the least popular takes in the entire country. <laughs> so, so I, I don't even like saying it, but I, listen, we, 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 we just have to be real here. We have to be real on, on real pod Wednesday. Yeah, we, so we ranted about the, defense you know i i said i didn't think ohio state should be 
ranked ahead of Clemson, and we still managed to save the most controversial take for last. So thank you, Gin and Juice, for a good way to end this episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Lots of ground to cover, so we hope you all enjoyed the show. We hope you all have a happy Thanksgiving. Not a not going to be a traditional Thanksgiving for a lot of people, so we hope you all stay safe, uh, enjoy whatever you're doing, and uh, enjoy some not Michigan game this weekend uh, at Illinois. But uh, we'll be back next week to talk about whatever we learn in that game and uh, keep it rolling. So thanks again for listening, guys.